0: this is a re-recording of the message from Sunday because unfortunately the recording on Sunday failed and uh, we started a new series on Sunday called simply Jesus in the book of John up until Easter it's about who Jesus was and what he came to do which of course was John's central purpose in writing the book he says in John 20 verse 31 but these things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ the son of God and that by believing you may have life in his name and the book of John isn't just a collection of random stories each account has been carefully selected because it expresses something of profound importance to us And there was no shortage of material from Jesus' life. It was John who said in chapter 21 that if all that Jesus did and said had been recorded, the world wouldn't have enough space for all the books that would have been written. So what's in this book is very significant. But it's also true to say that there is often more to John's stories than meets the eye. John likes to drop hints about things that we're meant to put together ourselves. And it's an ancient rabbinic teaching method in which the teacher allows the student to connect the dots and have a whole series of personal aha moments. And then there's the way that John treats miracles. For John, unlike the other gospel writers, miracles are less about power then the message or person the miracles are meant to reveal, he calls them these signs. Which is what the first part of the book is often called, the book of signs. Seven miracles of Jesus designed specifically to reveal who Jesus was to those who could re- read the signs. Which is what we want to look at in the first part of our series between John chapter 1 and John chapter 11 so jesus and miracles how good is that seven stories that reveal jesus not just to us but to anyone who hears them and we want to learn about these stories not just for ourselves but so that we can pass them on to those who don't yet know jesus which is part of the application for us who else needs to hear this story that's part of what we want to conclude out of these messages so today the first sign Jesus turns the water into wine. That's John chapter 2 verses 1 to 11. Let's find out what this is about and I'm going to take you through the story. So first of all, John 2 chapters, uh, so John 2 verses 1 to 3. On the third day, a wedding took place in Cana in Galilee. And Jesus' mother was there. Actually, we don't know why she was there, what her connection was with his family, but also Jesus and his disciples had been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. They have no more wine. They'd run out. They'd run dry. The party had been going on for three days and probably had at least another two to go, but they had nothing left. And this was a disaster. It was a shame on the hosts, a disgrace. What a terrible thing to run out of wine in a place of celebration. But this was part of the deeper meaning John had in choosing the story. Israel, you see, had run out of wine. The old covenant had run its course. The Messiah had come, even though they hardly knew it, and that there was this new wineskin coming as the new wine of the kingdom was about to be poured out. They had no wine even with Jesus present and you know just in case you think this is only about Israel this still happens today you know even today Christians people are still running out of wine not because there is no wine because that has been poured out the new covenant has come but it's because they no longer drink there are people in the church today who've lost their joy there's no spark there's no passion Everything's got so formulaic and brilliant even. But there's no life, there's no power, there's no wind or fire. And so they're merely going through the motions. And we hear people say, we don't need the gift of the spirit anymore. Why do we need supernatural gifts? So what if no one's been saved, healed or delivered anymore? And you know, for some, it's that they put on such a good show, they don't even realize that they've run out of wine. And it's tragic. But Mary wasn't having it, so she tells Jesus about it. And you know, we need the Marys today. We need the Marys to speak up in the midst of false celebration and cry out, but you have no wine. I was at a conference a few years ago. I mean, everything is a few years ago at the moment, isn't it? I mean, the music was great. The the lights were great. We even had a smoke machine. But the cry of Mary was heard in my heart because they had no wine. There was no power, there's no imminence of God's presence. And I accept that perhaps this is a bit of a soapbox for me. But you know, I think there's something to contend for in the church today. Something to dig out again, because there is more than we've known before. There's an even greater abundance of new wine. There are more demonstrations of power, more of God's kingdom to come, that Jesus wants to pour out look at Mary I love this she doesn't even ask Jesus about it she hardly prays she just tells him about it knowing that it's impossible for anybody to be in the same place as Jesus and run out of wine and then we see Jesus response in verse 4 woman why do you involve me my hour has not yet come you know why are you telling me about it Jesus is saying this isn't even my party they may have re- invited me, but they were happy with what they had. Look, some of them, they, they've even had quite enough wine already. They, they're not even aware that they've run out of wine. But you see, Mary knew that what had sustained them so far wasn't enough for what was to come. She knew that there was more than what they'd had and that Jesus was the answer, that they needed a fresh outpouring, that the best was yet to come that jesus has saved the best till last that there will be even greater outpourings greater demonstrations of his power the nearer the end times come because you know i firmly believe that there's going to be more of god's kingdom appearing on earth in the end times not less that as the world gets darker the church gets brighter that's what i believe you know i grew up in a time when the church was learning a new way to worship It was very exciting. I remember some of those early choruses, some of which still have power for us today. But I have to ask, have we got too reliant on the music and the singing? Are we too dependent on being led in worship? I know this is something that's really exercised the worship team over the last couple of years. And Tom spoke about this a while ago lockdowns and not being able to gather has been quite revealing us some of where our our worship has got to. And the reality is that very few of us know how to worship on our own. Do we worship in our homes? Where is the wine in our house? Where are those demonstrations of the kingdom in our neighborhoods? Or are we just living on water that keeps us alive, but gives very little joy? Jesus hesitates in his response to Mary's request. She doesn't know what she's asking. And it wasn't about his willingness to provide the wine, but it was about the time that he was in. He said, It's not my time. My hour hasn't yet come. What do you suppose he meant? Because although the passage doesn't say, when Jesus, Jesus uses this phrase elsewhere, it's about the cross it's about the price that he would need to pay for the wine that was to be poured out in his blood the wine of course a metaphor that jesus understood a metaphor he used when he broke bread and drank wine with his disciples and explained it to them and he said that this cup is the new covenant in my blood do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me jesus blood poured out for a new covenant between God and man through his death on the cross so that his kingdom could come. This wasn't that time. It wasn't that time. (laughs) And so his response to Mary seems corrective. And yet, look at Mary. Without missing a beat, she turns to the servants and says to them, do whatever he tells you to do, verse 5. Do whatever he tells you. And as one commentator points out, Mary approaches Jesus as his mother, as if to tell him what to do, and is reproached. She responds as a believer, and her faith is honoured. But you know, I'm curious. How did Mary know that Jesus could turn the water into wine? (laughs) Had he been practising? You know, pots everywhere with various attempts from vinegar that didn't quite work out to quite a decent Merlot that Mary was putting aside for a Sunday lunch. And I can just imagine how it must have been in the house, like one of his brothers, going in one morning to brush his teeth, turn on the tap and say, "Mom, he's done it again, but this time I think it might be whiskey. (laughs) I don't know how she knew jesus was discouraging at best but in that moment she gave the servants and us too the key to a kingdom miracle do whatever he says don't question don't hesitate i know my son just do it these days you know there are so many miracle books but in the end it all boils down to the simplicity of this obedience do Whatever he says, be close enough and intimate with him to hear and do what he tells you to do. Do you know, I wonder if we need to just repent before God. Have we been obedient to him? Can we just pray together for a moment and maybe just put your hand on your heart and say, Lord, Father, forgive my rebellious heart. Father, forgive us for ignoring your prompts. Forgive us for going our own way and thinking we know best. Father, give us obedient hearts that are quick to respond, hearts that are quick to do, feet that are quick to run into your purposes in our lives. Thank you, Jesus. The Bible says that if we confess our sins is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Go and sin no more. Obey him in all that he says. Jesus turns his attention to these six stone water pots. And six is often used to represent the number of man in the Bible. And so in effect he's turning to the human race in our hard heartedness, our stoniness, and our self-reliance. Verse 6. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. There were six stone jars, say 30 gallons each, which is about the size of one of our sullyhole wheelie bins and tom canny chap that he is has worked out that this would make up about a thousand bottles of wine all of these stone jars would make up a thousand bottles of wine now these jars were used for ceremonial washing and were made of stone because stone was believed not to contract ritual uncleanness and so people washed themselves in these jars and they've been doing so for three days they'd been washing their hands their feet their heads goodness knows what was in these jars but it was dirty water that gave no permanent relief to the conscience burdened by failure repeated rituals of cleansing were the limit of its solution there was no joy there was no life there was no wine in those jars that represented any hope for a people essentially trying to save themselves verse 7 jesus said to the servants fill the jars with water so they filled them to the brim jesus tells the servants to fill the stone jars to the brim which of course means that all the dirt the scum of their ineffective washing would rise to the surface but and this is something that the world needs to know this wasn't about condemnation this wasn't about the dishonor which mary was so concerned about for the wedding party it was about an incredible transformation And for me, I see the fulfilment of Ezekiel 36 in this act where God says, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. This is about a new wineskin for the new wine that the old wineskins could never hold. But also... The filling of these stone jars is what the gift of salvation looks like physically, transformed from one substance to another, recreated so that dirty water is made again into the best wine. You're cleansed. You're, you're a new person. You are recreated. The old is gone. The new has come. You are completely different in substance and your life is changed to such an extent that, look, in verse 8, Jesus told them, draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. And they did so. The master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine, and he didn't know where it came from. The, The servants who drew the water knew. And he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. Guys, what comes out is beautiful. What is poured out of your heart through your life in that transformation is sweet to taste. Did you know that this is what Jesus is like, that this is what he's done for you, that he transforms your life like that, the dirty water becomes the best of wine. They had no wine, but now they have an abundance of the best wine. I mean this provision was generous. A thousand bottles of wine, the best of wine, that was extravagant. Why so much wine? Why did this miraculous what did this miraculous sign point to and what did it reveal about Jesus and what does it mean for us and the world around us? Well in the Old Testament the abundance of wine announces the messianic age and is a sign of the kingdom of God breaking in. And you may have already gathered this from all that I've said already today, that the king and his kingdom and all that is in his kingdom comes where the new wine is poured out. That means miracles. That means demonstrations of power. That means peace, love, joy. All that's in heaven in his kingdom comes to earth when the new wine is poured out. And I just felt to just read to you some of the Old Testament passages about this moment where this wine is poured out. And I want to just speak it over us, prophesy over us these words so here we have jeremiah first of all he says they will come and shout for joy on the heights of zion they will rejoice in the bounty of the lord the grain the new wine and the olive oil the young of the flocks and herds they will be like well-watered gardens and they will sorrow no more that's jeremiah 31 and then we have joel chapter 3 verse 18 he says in that day the mountains will drip with new wine and the hills will flow with milk and all the ravines of judah will run with water and now we have amos and he says in chapter 9 he says that the days are coming and i say and now is declares the lord when the reaper will be overtaken by the plowman, and the planter by the one treading grapes. New wine will drip from the mountains and flow from all the hills, and I will bring back my people Israel from their slavery, and they will rebuild the ruined cities and live in them. They will plant vineyards and drink their wine. They will make gardens and eat their fruit. Jubilee, I prophesied over you that you will rebuild the ruined cities, that you will plant vineyards and drink their wine, make gardens and eat their fruit. You know, Jesus' conversion of such a huge amount of water into wine is a miraculous sign that the kingdom of God has arrived. God himself has drawn near in this in this personal ministry of Jesus, and the fulfillment of the promises of an abundance of blessing and joy was beginning to be fulfilled at that moment, and now is. It continues. They'd run out of wine. They had no wine, but now they had so much wine, they didn't know what to do with it. So if you've got any wine, Are you living in the abundance of new wine? Are we, as a church, overflowing with the wine of his spirit? Has his kingdom come near to us? Are we living in the extravagance of his imminence? There's so many things that I could say about what this passage means and about Jesus that Uh, that many of us may have even missed and I could probably go on but the most significant thing that it reveals to us about Jesus is how it concludes that the best is now that the best is now we live in the season of the abundance of new wine there is more we've hardly begun to see anything yet the river gets deeper the further we go the wine gets better the more that we drink You know, guys, your early experiences of the Spirit are not the best. They're just the start. The power increases. It doesn't diminish. The stone pots of ritual and religious observance have been smashed. The new life, the new wineskin, the new wine has been provided. Jesus has done it all, and there is even more. Whatever he says, do it. The further we go, the greater miracles we will see. Did you know that the best is now, but is always yet to come? Have you got any wine? When did you last drink? Are you still pursuing God? Are you thirsty for more? What are you living off? Is there any wine in the house and do you want more? It's not acceptable or necessary to run out of wine when Jesus is here. There's an abundance of provision that we get to carry out. The wine is poured out through us wherever we are, and the joy is infectious. Sin isn't a reason that we can't be used by God. I love the fact that he used stone water pots full of dirty water to turn into the best wine. Do you know that he's the ultimate recycler? He uses everything, even the failures of our lives. The only thing that disqualifies us is when we have no wine. So let me ask you, have you forgotten how to drink? Come and drink. Come and experience the kingdom's power and he will break out over you. Amen.